Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. Well, it is October 31st, and you know what that means. It is Halloween, a very sacred holiday to us here at Dead for Filth. And because we love to celebrate spookily, we are doing things a little differently today because it's our Halloween special. And why not do things a little more special, a little more spooky, a little more filthy? And as such, I have organized a little crew of people to help me celebrate. Returning guests, one and all, please join me in welcoming writer of Chastity Bites and producer of I Am Divine, Lottie Ferris Knowles. Hello, ghost of Dead for Filth past. (laughs) Welcome back, Lottie. Thank you. Filmmaker J.T. Seaton, writer and director of George, A Zombie Intervention and The Peripheral. Pleased to be here. And of course, as with every special, welcome back power producer and artist extraordinaire Drew Phillips. Oh, hi, hello. Happy Halloween, Michael. Well, happy Halloween one and all. So it's so good to have everyone back. First off, I guess it's time to catch up. How's everyone been since the last time you were on the show? What's going on? How are things? Uh, 50 episodes ago. I know. Who would have thought? Do you remember when, JT? (laughs) Back in the day. Ugh. Was it 2017 when we, or early 2018 when we recorded those? When we, when, we, when we first recorded, we had to walk 17 miles. Uphill both ways. In snow. Yes. In all that snow here in sunny Glendale, California. <laughs> sunny Glendale. Yeah. I arrived by horse-drawn carriage. Uh, what's interesting is uh, you both reminded me of this. I didn't even know, and it's my show, is that your episodes aired back-to-back. They sure did. So, wonderful. Lottie, what have you been working on since you were on last time? By the way, JT and I are friends in real life. Just saying. Okay. Just saying. Would you back that we're, up, JT? We're back-to-back friends in real life. <laughs> back, yeah, we go everywhere like the Bee Gees and that one. <laughs> just like, dunk, back-to-back. Um, oh, Lord. What have I been working on? Um, if you can tell us, of course. Well, yeah. I, I am uh, still working on the documentary about the wonderful film Showgirls uh, with documentarian and former Dead for Filth guest Jeffrey Schwarz. We are, I will tease now that we're leading up to a Kickstarter campaign next year. And we are in talks with some people about interviewing them hopefully soon. I can't really reveal a lot of details, but uh, I'm just, yeah, of course I'm super excited about that because, you know, I'm mad about that movie. And then I've got a couple of TV pilots that are being pitched. Who knows what will happen? Uh, One thing that was probably mentioned last time did not get picked up for pilot in the area of Me Too. Uh, So (laughs) just, you know, so, you know, the ups and downs of the business, but I'm doing my thing. Excellent. Well, we are big Showgirls fans on the show, obviously, uh-huh. as you well know. So, listeners, uh, keep your eyes peeled and ears open for this Kickstarter, because if you want to hear all the behind-the-scenes dirt on Showgirls, this documentary is going to be the place to find it. Absolutely. JT, what about you? What's been going on in the last year or so? Uh, in the last year or so, um, basically focused a, focused a lot on the film festival that I run. Uh, in New Orleans, the NOLA Horror Film Fest. We just had our eighth season at the end of September, and it was fantastic. Uh, We had a great venue, great crowds, uh, visiting filmmakers. It was a lot of fun. And then, of course, uh, you and I had done some short films recently. Yes. um, With uh, He Drinks uh, having a very successful festival run. Woohoo! I loved it. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. as of a few days ago, if you're listening, He Drinks also just uh, debuted for sh- on the streaming platform, Reverie, so you can watch it there uh, and see what everyone at festivals were all excited about. Yay. Very excited. Congrats, guys. And uh, and then also next year, hopefully, we'll uh, I'll be doing a feature film uh, that Michael and I co-wrote a script together, a feature film called God Rest His Soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, hopefully with uh, with luck, that will be the next major film project. I do love luck, but yeah. <laughs> a little a little witchcraft never hurt. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Drew? What's new? Um, I've been consistently busy. Uh, as always, uh, helping out the show as well as doing my fun poster stuff, getting to the end of a year of one poster a day, which I will be able to sleep for the first time at January 1st, 2019. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. Right. And we've talked a little bit when you've popped up on uh, specials in the past about your poster project, but uh, refresh listeners about what that is. I'm designing a movie poster a day for a film out there. Um it's October 31st, so I've already done over 300 for the year, mm-hmm. and I don't sleep. Um, mm-hmm. And on top of that, it's been great. I've been getting a ton of uh, response across social media, on Twitter and Instagram and stuff, which has been great, and has gotten me a good amount of commissioned work um, to do original pieces for really, really wonderful features and shorts uh, and bands and stuff, which has been great. Um, and I just wrapped up... An entire October of Halloween titles, which has been so much fun to talk about the Sentinel and Halloween mm. Two and anguish and absolutely insane stuff that apparently people other than me know about. Well, <laughs> and as we mentioned when you were on the birthday special, mm-hmm. uh, Drew also designed our official Comic Con exclusive Dead for Filth poster that we debuted there. And uh, so Drew's artwork is all woven throughout the fabric of the world of horror. I just saw your amazing Exorcist poster the other Thank day. You. I loved it. And uh, I always like to to shill when I can. Make sure you check out Drew's Society6 page because there you can get her work. Including a new fog print. Yes. Yeah. Ghostly yeah. blue. Big fan of and the blood fog red. Print. Yeah. Your stuff is rad, Drew, Thank you. honestly. I, I I'm giving you a big shill. My the Lottie thumbs up. Because <laughs> your stuff is I think rad. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna buy a shower curtain. Ooh. Ooh. That's the great thing about society. Just in six. general or one of Drew's shower No, one of Drew's shower <laughs> curtains. I didn't know if we were just like laying things out. Like, I'm, I'm going to get buy. a, yeah. <laughs> JT, buy a shower curtain. JT and I are going to bed bath. We're going to bed bath and beyond after <laughs> right. this. We just thought we'd bring that up. Well, <laughs> apropos of nothing. Interesting that you bring up bed bath and beyond <laughs> oh, because God, uh, like. one of the show sponsors is the beyond. So, oh. yeah, you never really think about that portion of the store, do you? Uh, <laughs> this is the stupidest joke. Uh, but, you know, here we are. It's a party. It is a Halloween party, and that's the reason you're here. And as you know, Dead for Filth is all about the celebration of cinema. So what are we going to do with our Halloween party but talk about movies? Yay. Now, I did prepare you all a little bit with some prompts I set in advance so you could think about it. Uh, and I'm going to set this up for listeners. We're just going to leap right in. In the world of Dead for Filth, let's imagine we're throwing a Halloween party. This is the Halloween party that you want to introduce guests to a movie that is the essence of Halloween. And I asked each of you to select a movie to screen at your Halloween party with the caveat that it has to be a Halloween-themed movie that does not have Halloween in the title. So that discounts for now all of the Halloween franchise. Tales of Halloween, which of course uh, has featured many prominent fans, uh, friends of the show, uh, as well as uh, Halloween Town for you Debbie Reynolds enthusiasts. (laughs) 
And we're going to dig in deep. We're going to look at some movies that are set on Halloween that uh, maybe don't always get programmed first and foremost. So why don't you kick us off, Lottie? What is your Halloween movie selection? Well, as you know, as the people in this room know, I have been throwing an annual horror movie party around Halloween for 24 years now. And we show multiple films. So that is appropriate that I'm going to select a trilogy, a, a trilogy of films that have nothing to do with each other but they're all called in some form trick or treat oh there is trick or treats from 1982 which is the shittiest halloween ripoff but (laughs) hilariously amusing if you are high or just love bad horror movies uh then we would move to uh, trick or treat from 1986 which i love this movie it's a heavy metal and that stars Mark Price from Family Ties, yes, right? Yes, it does. Skippy. <laughs> as well as appearances by Gene Simmons and my beloved Ozzy Osbourne. I believe is a TV preacher, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Like a TV? Yeah. Yep. Um, and so, and I love uh, hard rock. So I love that that's, uh, there's a heavy metal theme. And then, of course, it would conclude with 2007's, I believe, Trick or Treat, the anthology that weaves together many a Halloween story and uh, universal ho- horror What is it? Halloween Horror Nights had a great maze for Trick or Treat this year. So shout out to them for that. So those are my picks. What a really good triumvirate of films. I I like that you came with three all woven together with a theme. Uh, I do really, really enjoy the heavy metal Trick or Treat, the middle movie, if you will, because I've always been uh, quite fond of Mark Price. He was also in Killer Tomatoes Eat France. Uh, (laughs) He has a nice like late night oeuvre that mm-hmm. I appreciate outside of his his uh, job as Skippy on Family Ties. Uh, also, there's just something delicious about the intersection of 80s heavy metal, which was very prominent at the time, sort of like running concurrent with the satanic panic of the 80s, finally landing in a horror movie that that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, it has to be set at Halloween. You can't just have the devil's music on a casual July Tuesday. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if that one actually is, but... It's it's still because of the title. It I, it must be because I it's been a little while. Fun fact is at one of my horror parties, I think it was the twentieth annual. I showed those three films and then Halloween three, which we're, we can't mention right now. But not yet. Hall- okay. not yet. The <laughs> Halloween franchise is verboten for the moment. Okay. Uh, but yeah, what a great selection. I, of course, also love Trick or Treat, the Mike Doherty film from 2007. Uh, the interwoven stories are great. I still like have uh, just that mental image of the kids on the bus like with their freakish costumes mm-hmm. that to me is one of the most powerful halloween oriented images in cinema of the last like two decades uh and it's so fun and it's a movie that sets up the rules of halloween much like scream uh set up the rules of horror movies where it like lays them out here's what you have to do to have a successful halloween and i don't find myself objecting with any of them Thank you. Yeah, so there you go. Thank you, Lottie, for those those three films. JT, what are you going to screen at this Halloween jamboree? Um, I'm going to screen, actually just, I'm going to screen a couple of short films. Okay. Mm. Yes, I'm going to screen uh, a movie called uh, An Evening with My Comatose Mother (laughs) from 2011. Um, by Jonathan Martin. It is uh, a film about uh, a babysitter who uh, is hired to babysit uh, an old woman, a Mm. grandmother, if you will, uh, who is supposed to be comatose because, you know, in the title, she's, you know, the comatose mother. And while the uh, 
you know, the daughter and her husband go out on Halloween and uh, crazy shenanigans happen. And uh, the mother is not quite as comatose as one would think. It has a, a really great uh, Evil Dead 2 kind of vibe to it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of people don't see short films. And so I like to, if I can, you know, expand uh, people's horizons a little bit with short films. And uh, I do believe that Comatose Mother is available on Vimeo. Cool. Possibly. I think I'll have to, I'd have to look it up. But my phone is on airplane mode. <laughs> so I can't look up anything right now. That's good uh, podcast etiquette, I etiquette. Said. Yeah. And then the second uh, little short film that I would screen is called Jack Attack. I love Jack Attack. I was hoping someone was going to bring this up. Yeah. Jack Attack is a really great little short film uh, about um, basically killer pumpkin seeds. Right, I think <laughs> it's probably wow. the best the best way to describe it. It's like you know they they carve the pumpkin. It's a, another babysitter and, and a kid um, scenario, little boy scenario, and they carve the pumpkin. They they bake the pumpkin seeds, and then when they eat the pumpkin seeds, pumpkins grow inside their bodies. <laughs> it's wow. kind and of kill them. Yeah. This sounds I amazing. Yeah. I like the I programming. Really see that. Yeah, yeah, that one. That one is. I I know is online. It's either. I think it's both on uh, YouTube and uh, and Vimeo as well. But uh, yeah, we awarded at the Nola Horror Film Fest Jack Attack uh, Best Short Film the year that we screened it, um, which I think was 2015, 2014? Yeah, it came out. I think the same year as Tales of Poe because I remember seeing it at uh, festivals. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jack Attack is great. I, uh, incidentally enough, I screened it for a group of people on October 1st to kick off the season. I was just, mm-hmm. here's a little bite-sized treat to kick things off. It is literally like three minutes and 30 seconds and all three minutes and 30 seconds are vicious. Mm. Uh, it's, it's exactly the kind of Halloween programming that I can get into. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I love a short film. And if we're going to add short films in, I didn't think about short films myself, but since you brought it up and wove into the fabric, I will make an additional uh, recommendation of a short film called The Body, which is all about a man who takes a body around on Halloween of someone oh, yes, he yes. kills. Uh, <laughs> and people think it's part of his costume, but he's just meanwhile trying to get rid of this body that he has. <laughs> and the short stars Alfie Allen, who's yes. Lily Allen's brother. And it was recently adapted into a feature film for Blumhouse's Into the Dark series, but the short is a standalone uh, unto itself of just kind of like here's Halloween done uh, in a very sadistic way. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's great. It's you know because he's dragging the body through the streets of London. And everyone thinks it's a prop, and then a group of uh, trick or treaters and partiers like get him to come to like this bar and this party, and then everybody starts taking selfies with the body because they think it's a prop. <laughs> right, and uh, and then of course. Uh, a nod uh, at the very beginning when he's at the actual house and he's committed the murder. The doorbell rings. He opens the door to trick or treaters. And what three masks are the trick or treaters wearing at the front door? Is it uh, Halloween three? It is Halloween <laughs> three. We said it again. We said it again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, These are all really cre- those three really creative. Yeah. I love people's minds. <laughs> Uh, Drew, what are you going to show at your Halloween party? Well, if it's a little too late and you've been spooked out by the viciousness of Sam and Trick or Treat or by scary-ass pumpkin seeds, or if it's a little early in the day and you want to get started with your pumpkin spice latte and ease into the Halloween spirit, Mm -hmm. my favorite cozy, delightful 
Halloween classic is Frank Capra's Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh. That's with a- Cary Grant and Peter Lorre. Great suggestion. Is that set at Halloween? Which takes place on Halloween Day. Well done. Following Cary Grant's marriage, and he goes back to celebrate with his two aunts who have just murdered a man and (laughs) hidden him in the window seat because they take kindness on old homeless strangers by putting them out of their misery. And while he's trying to dispose of the body, who should show up but his deformed sociopathic brother with Peter Laurie in tow? It is so. Peter Laurie is not the deformed sociopath. <laughs> no, he is not. He's Doctor Einstein. Okay. It is one of the funniest, cutest movies in the world. It just fill. It's nothing but leaves falling in graveyards while <laughs> Cary Grant does slapstick and Peter Laurie mugs at the camera. It's it's interesting. I mean, I never really decry filmmakers in general because I think every artist is different. But I do uh, historically am on the record as not being the biggest Frank Capra fan mm-hmm. for the fact that I tend to not like frivolity for frivolity's sake. <laughs> uh, but. I will say that Arsenic and Old Lace is one of those movies that just sings with every like frame. It's like so good. And uh, the play it's adapted from is just so smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to me, it's probably Capra's best film. I know the uh, It's a Wonderful Life fans would probably disagree. <laughs> uh, but um, Or It Happened One Night or You Can't Take It With You, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I do think that there's just something... Uh, there's more dark humor in it than he usually. Oh, it is. With, oh, yeah, so. it is so. It's delightfully dark. I mean, Cary Grant being tied up by um, Raymond Macy while describing how an idiot character is tied up in a play, while Peter Lorre calmly rubs his hands uh, in his big-eyed, goofy fashion. It could not be more wholesome Halloween fun <laughs> while also having all the spooks and scares that you need to get the night going. Um, I want to go home and watch that right now. So do I. Because I think I saw it a long time ago. <laughs> I've got but... my tape in my office. Come on over. <sighs> Wait, VHS? Yeah, hell yeah. Oh my God. I If, if we're going here. into a trilogy like you two mm-hmm. did, you can come back to my office right after this and we can do a VHS triple of Arsenic and Old Lace, Murder by Death, and mm. Clue. Love it. Which is a perfect thin line of comedy mm-hmm. and just a little bit of spookiness. I love it. Yeah, I don't know that the other two like line up with Halloween. They don't. But <laughs> at all. Monkey's brains, while popular in Cantonese cuisine. No, uh, <laughs> it's for you clue listeners. Uh, great. No, I think these are all great suggestions. And as you know, I like to kind of make my suggestions on specials based on the suggestions of guests, mm. finding something that like is a, a good mix. Uh, and something that combines the childlike wonder of trick-or-treating <laughs> with a little bit of viciousness that the short films have and that kind of cozy sense. My Halloween suggestion set on Halloween is a film from 1986 called Lady in White, mm. directed by Frank Lelogia, uh, starring a young Lucas Haas. Uh, he is a boy who is uh, trick-or-treating and a little ostracized and he witnesses the death of a girl and he believes that he sees her ghost. And it's just kind of like one of those movies that is a good genre movie for younger kids who maybe are not ready for a poltergeist, but are, you know, moving beyond something that's a little more childlike. I think it's a movie that appeals to generations, but it is still definitely a horror movie. And uh, I really like it. And I don't think it gets a lot of love. And uh, the director's prior film, Fear No Evil, it was such like a very different movie mm-hmm. than Lady in White that uh, I think that um, 
it, there's something special about it. It's a good Halloween movie, and it's it's a throwback Halloween movie. I think it's set uh, in the 50s, if I'm not mistaken, because the movie itself is being told by a, an adult in present day talking about his childhood. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's really good. I highly recommend it to everybody. And I recommend uh, Funeral Weevil as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's a trip. But I haven't seen Lady in White. I, I'm actually amazed. I it's haven't delightful. Seen that. It's like Stand by Me as a ghost movie. Oh, okay. It's yeah, really, that's really a, cute. That's a good. Uh, that's a good reference. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. I do. Uh, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And I think that it's like one of those that kind of fell through the cracks after the the, the many the, the one two punch of uh, Hocus Pocus and Casper, like these movies that feel more like children's Halloween classics because it, it came right before those. But those seem to be louder in the, the cult canon. <laughs> uh, but this is like this is kind of like the cozier cousin, I think. Mm. Uh, cool. So that's a whole lineup of things that you can be watching from a, a trilogy of trick or treat movies to a trilogy of uh, Halloween themed shorts to Cary Grant. You can't go wrong with Cary Grant. Uh, yeah. To to a kid hiding in an attic from from the terrors of childhood. <laughs> These are uh, what you should program for your Dead for Phil themed Halloween party, because why aren't you having a Dead for Phil themed Halloween party? <laughs> I know I am. Uh <laughs> So the other mission statement uh, that I had asked you to, to prepare for is just movies in general. Uh, you know, we always like to talk about what you've seen recently that you like, what you recommend, what you were inspired by. And I can't have you all back and not at least get just a more broad rec- recommendation that doesn't have to do specifically with necessarily uh, the Halloween holidays. So Lottie, what have you seen recently that you dig? A Star is Born. <laughs> Sorry. Um, wait, I'm trying to think. I, you may have to come back to me because I, I have been watching so many horror movies this month, just like ingesting them like crazy. And I have to think a little bit about which ones that I've watched that I actually liked. So, JT, will you take it first while I think on it? Sure. Uh, and mine is Mandy. Mandy, <gasps> I want to see that so bad. I've heard Mandy it's amazing. Is amazing. Yep. Uh, it it really is. It's 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 it is kind of transcended. I mean, it's it's there. It it lulls you into this world that is gorgeous and beautiful and dark and threatening, and it also uh, captures a Nicolas Cage crazy performance, but yet confined and motivated so Mm -hmm. it's not like him just being crazy for the sake of being crazy there's a reason behind his insanity and um and it's just beautiful it's beautiful it's got you know a fantastic score by johan johannesson one of i think it might be his last score it was his Uh, final score his final score and it is Amazing! Everything mm-hmm. about the film is fantastic. You know, I haven't seen that one yet, but I did see the filmmaker's first movie, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. And is that what it's called? Yeah, Beyond the Black, Black Rainbow. Rainbow is his first. And film. I really uh, think that he has a very striking visual style, which I have gotten even from the trailers of Mandy. And I'm always here for a Cage. Let's be honest. Like I love a crazy Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, you know, they're they're sort of like you know varying in laws of return depending what you get. But like I always think. When you check in for Cage, you're at least getting Cage at 100, no matter what it is. And uh, he's one of my my uh, favorite actors that you can reference in the manner that his name is both the name of a performer and a genre. 
<laughs> you're right. It Be- is because there's. I can't think of any other actor that if you're if someone was like, oh, what kind of movie is it? And you're like, oh, it's a Nicolas Cage movie. People are like, got it. <laughs> like it's just like yeah. yeah, very clear. But no, I am excited to check it out. I like when Cage goes full genre. Um, I can tell he enjoys it. He is on the record as a, a big horror fan. Uh, one of my favorite uh, releases of the last fifteen years. That's just like a good popcorn movie. Is a movie he was in called Drive Angry. Oh yeah, that's a, mm-hmm. actually would be a good double feature with Mandy. Yeah, yeah. where he escapes from hell and is being chased uh, by a truck driving agent of Satan. <laughs> Uh, so good. So right. good. JT, I want to come over sometime for that double feature. I'm just putting that request The, the Mandy and Drive Angry double yes. feature? Yes. Uh, how about you, Drew? What uh, recommendations? Um, well, I finally, to stick on the theme of my VHS collection, <laughs> dusted off my tape of Anguish, the biggest Luna film from 87? Oh, with Zelda Rubenstein? With, with yeah. Zelda Rubenstein. <laughs> uh, and Michael Lerner, uh... I knew nothing about it, but I had enough people be like, oh, you'd really love this movie. Uh, so I finally gave it a spin the other night. It is beyond insane and so fun. Zelda Rubenstein, through hypnosis, controls her optometrist orderly son, played by Michael Lerner, to murder people and steal their eyes. So the eyes of the city can be hers. <laughs> and then like 30 minutes into the movie, it completely shifts and changes mm-hmm. and morphs into something else that keeps the like incredibly stylized hypnotic Argento style of the first half of the movie and then goes into true real real world horror for the rest of the film that keeps weaving back and forth into the Zelda Rubenstein stuff. It's like... It's like if you cut together Peter Bogdanovich's targets with, like, opera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's insane, and I love it. And more people should see it. Great. I'm going to say amen to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, Zelda Rubenstein does not get enough credit outside of Poltergeist and Teen Witch. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't mention Teen Witch, <laughs> then we're all done. I'm just turning off the lights and stacking the chairs. Well, uh, no, we, we may never be the same again. We're never going to be. Top the that. same again. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. Uh, Lottie, before I give a suggestion, you said that uh, you needed a little time to think. How yes, are, are I'm you? back. I'm back. I really, because I, 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 you know, those of us who are horror fans and cram a lot of horror into our eyeballs, we we are, I, I, at least for me, I'm always amazed at how much I haven't seen. And so September, October every year is the time where I say, okay, I can kind of put everything else on hold and just watch horror movies and some of course sometimes I'm revisiting stuff that I've seen before but a lot of times I'm trying to find what are those things I haven't seen so the two that I'll say that I really liked one is one I had never heard of and there was some Joe Bob Briggs hosted screening like in Texas I got an email about so I rented it on Netflix and it's Larry Cohen's special effects from 1984 which I was thinking how did I miss this it's you know Eric Bogosian who I kind of love like I could watch him do anything uh, as a filmmaker who you know wants to have a very realistic kill and you can imagine what he does but then there's also I can't remember her name one of you two probably or you three probably know the actress from Ms. 45 who is double cast in one role where her she's badly ADR'd and then she has her real voice for the other role but anyway so she's kind of a miracle like there's some 
something really just weird and watchable about her. So that was great. The other one that I knew of but somehow had never seen was the original Watcher in the Woods with Betty Davis. Oh, yeah. And a Disney film. Yeah, yeah it is. And yeah. that, I would kind of put that, even, I haven't seen Woman, uh, Woman in White or Lady in White? Lady in White. Lady in White. But I feel like it's sort of of that ilk of four kids who are just starting to graduate away from Scooby-Doo and want to get a little more thrills and chills, but it's still, you know, fairly kid-friendly, but creepy and cool. Yeah, I can definitely get into that. I love Watcher in the Woods. I even like the remake that Melissa Joan Hart directed with Angelica Houston. I thought that was really cool. Mm. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, two different eras. Mm-hmm. You, you give me a gothic mansion out somewhere, I'm always going to be on board. Amen. Uh Gosh, what would my recommendation be? I actually talked about this a little bit last week with Tiffany Sheppis when she was on. Uh, But as I mentioned, I recently uh, hosted in conjunction with Outfest a screening of Jennifer's Body. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that if you have not seen this movie or revisited it since it came out in 2009, now is the time, especially in the era of Me Too, because the movie has uh, teeth, pun intended, Mm -hmm. that uh, it you wouldn't even believe you know this movie has resonance for survivors of trauma it speaks to a lot of uh women's issues and i think that uh it it just it it speaks a lot to the power of relationships that exist between women um and there's a queerness to it which i think definitely flies uh right alongside all of our, our our goals here at dead for filth uh megan fox has never been more powerful in my mind i think that diablo cody's script is next level uh karen kusama's direction is so good uh there's not a weak member of that cast in any way shape or form uh and as i said at the screening it's a movie that's about the devil but it shows the devil isn't the real enemy it's actually uh rock and roll by white guys <laughs> emo yeah. emo douchebags uh, that, that is honestly because i i really enjoyed that screening and i've seen that movie i saw it in the theater when it came out and was like why are people hating on this but each time i like it or sorry each time i watch it i like it more and now i'm pretty convinced it's almost like a flawless movie and it the 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 relationship of the two female characters very much so many other women i've talked to say oh yeah i had a relationship like that in high school whether or not it had the queer element you know but the tensions and the the love so yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm kind of interested, Lottie, in your take on we. The movie didn't get a great reception when it came out, as as is you know like by by the admission of of producer Mason Novick, who was there and did a Q and A with me that night. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with the marketing, of course. Mm-hmm. But do you think too? And every everyone's welcome to chime in. But uh, Lottie and I spoke a lot about this when she was on the show last time. Do you think there's still a resistance to films especially in a genre space that are female-led where the characters don't play traditional roles well it's funny because i think that there's absolutely an audience for it but i think the powers that be and i may have mentioned a career disappointment of my own this year the powers that be still don't get it. It's kind of like how after the Sex and the City movies and all this stuff, people are still in Hollywood like, wait a minute, there's an audience for female-driven movies? What? You know, and I, I can't understand how that hasn't sunk in at this point. I do wonder 
maybe if the timing of when it was released, if it was some, because what was it? What was it? 2009? 2009. Yeah. So that was into the Obama era. We were past the Bush, the W. Bush era. But we were still pretty heavily in the torture porn, the era of saws and that kind of thing, which have their place. But I do think a lot of it was the marketing and not understanding who the audience was for that because so many people I know when they found it on their own, whether it was in the theater or later, love it. I mean, and of course, listen, not every movie is going to be for everybody. I don't expect that. But I I absolutely think that there's still there's still so much resistance to female power in this industry. Yeah, for sure. And see, this is exactly, even though it's the special, these are the kind of conversations we have on Dead for Filth. And one thing I do think is interesting, we all in some way, shape or form exist within the genre and we run up against the community. We interact with the community. Uh, And so I think sometimes it's, it's easy to sort of forget when we first discovered this world, how, there is this whole sense of otherness and there are these people out there they're like well girls don't like horror movies oh for christ's sake and uh, but no you you know <laughs> exactly true, what i'm talking though. about i know and and it's sort of like i i know that when um articles that i write about the queer relationship with horror uh come out there will always be someone in the comments regardless i've been doing this for over a decade more there will when the new piece comes out there will always be someone that's like i never thought about that that gay people could like a scary film. Like, and, and it's sort of just like, all right, like I get that maybe that's not your worldview. But the thing that really fascinates me, especially with regard to studios and uh, networks and places that are sort of the gatekeeper of getting this content out, is this inability to recognize how powerful this audience is and how hungry for it it is like how do you not wrap your mind around the fact that women love horror or queer people love horror or people of color love horror the idea is as of horror by its inherent definition is a genre of otherness Mm -hmm. and if you are not a straight white man in america you are in some way cis you are in some way other so you're going to be drawn to stories that represent you in some way. And, you know, maybe you are the girl who's not one of the popular girls. And so you see Laurie Strode not connecting with Annie and Linda. Linda. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or maybe you're Jesse from Nightmare 2. Or maybe you're not represented yet and you're waiting for it. This is the genre where it's going to happen first. Amen. So it's just like that to me is what like that's why when I watch something like Jennifer's Body and people are just sort of, oh, well, it probably didn't work because it's about girls. Oh, Christ. Which I remember that kind of like I was like, what? Yeah. Are you you fucking kidding? (laughs) Like it worked because it's about girls. And And you're right, too, because horror is the genre traditionally where women get to actually have the most interesting and the most powerful and the most kind of diversified roles. Yes, there are the films where women are just running around screaming before they're stabbed to death, but there are the Laurie Strodes and the Ripleys and, you know, so many cool female characters. And Needy and Jennifer and Jennifer's body are these fully realized, very real you know, their relationship is so, like I said, so um, resonant 
with so many women and p- probably people in general. Yeah, I think that the the disconnect is between some of the people who are there's some of the people in the audience, but I don't know. I think a lot of it is sort of the people who are pulling the money strings sometimes Mm -hmm. who are just part of that system and they still are not woke to like, for example, the Latino audience is so Latinx, I guess we should say is so huge in this country and they are huge horror fans. And there was that one paranormal activity. I think that oh, uh, ghost dimension. No, uh, the marked ones. Oh, the marked, yeah, the ones. marked yeah, ones. Yeah, the marked ones. Yeah, and I, I just cannot, you know, when I made Chastity Bites, I, I mean, it was set in the Southwest. I had a lot of Latino characters because I wanted to honor, honor that audience, and I'm just shocked. Every time I see a horror movie, I'm like, where's the, the next representation for that audience? You know, people of color, like you said. I mean, everybody. Anybody who's experienced the otherness, you're absolutely right. Well, and JT, you you run a film festival, and a lot of those movies are made outside of a studio system. And so do you feel like festivals and, and a lot of the content that you see, you, you get to see artists actually, like, getting the chance to breathe because they get to finally make stories that are for them? Uh, yes and, and no at the same time. I mean, yes, because they're not, like, ruled by... Uh, a studio and not have uh, executives who don't have creative bones in their bodies breathing down their necks because it's all about money for them. Uh, they can tell stories that are are different and unique uh, to them. Um, what's interesting, this year uh, at our festival at Noel Horror Film Fest, we had like uh, a record number of films that had gay characters. Mm-hmm. And they weren't identified as gay films. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they, you know, championed and said, "Hey, this this movie has gay characters," you know. So right. we need to be set aside or or special or prioritized because you know we have this niche this niche character. Uh, it was just accepted, you know. And I thought that was fantastic. It's just like you know they're not pointing out that this is a gay themed film but they have positive gay characters mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, and lead characters in, in it but at the same time i also think that there still is even in the indie world people who want to to make the next blumhouse movie who want to you know try to make a movie that is you know a wide appeal to everybody so they're right. not going to be as risk taking you know, even in their thing, because they want they want to make that next, you know, that next project. Sure. And I get that. But I also think that thinking and this is just like me speaking artist, artist to artists listening, as well as all three artists here in the room. By not taking risks, it's a counterintuitive move, I think, in the world of creation. Because if you don't take a risk, then your movie is not going to stand out. You should be terrified when you make a movie because you should be doing something that pushes you. Mm-hmm. And I think that like... There are so many places that we have grown, and there are so many places we can still grow. There needs to be more Latinx representation. There needs to be more trans movies, period, Mm -hmm. let alone in the genre space. And you know what? If you don't like trans representation in horror, and it hasn't been great. It's been awful. It has <laughs> been awful. Yeah, I was going to say. It's I can't think of one non-problematic trans horror film. And that's a, that's a huge discussion to be had. Mm-hmm. And it's a discussion that someone like me, I want to open the door, but I shouldn't be leading that talk. I think that it is it is something that we still need to work on. But 
it's sort of like if you're not seeing trans horror movies, make one. Because we need it. We so desperately need it because not only does that art need to exist, there are people out there who are trans who need that movie too. Yeah. And that's to me, you know, we talked about it on the birthday episode mm-hmm. about trans representation in film and how even Almodovar, who tries... Still fucks it up. Right. So, <laughs> yep. uh, and I love him. And I love that movie, but it's it's a mess from a sociological point of view. It's, right. It's not good representation. It's a great film, but those are completely different things. It's still very celluloid closet issues, you know, where finally gay and lesbian and to an extent bisexual characters are finally getting more fully realized roles that aren't suicidally depressed because of who, what, because of what they are, you know, and they're not serial killers, but we still have some big strides to make for trans characters. We no longer have the sleepaway camp and dress to kill endings. Yeah. But now we have the Danish girl and the girl and things like that, which are completely different kind of problematic mm-hmm. right. junk. Um, <laughs> give me sleepaway camp any day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or something better. Well, uh, so- I, can I say, too, though, I, I am hopeful for the, the, the younger generations. True. Your generation <sighs> is because I, I think. Listen, maybe this is not true in every single part of the country because certainly there are some kids who are still really either going through it or being brainwashed, you know, by by certain things. But there are so many uh, millennials and, and Gen Z even more where they do not give a fuck. They do not care about what race, ethnicity, sexual preference, gender identification, any of that, you know, gender is a concept is becoming more fluid for them. And so I think as they move into the world, I, I think that that is a lot of what is driving both be, our generation that's fed up and their generation coming up with what their expectations are is what is creating the pushback. Right. Even though when we're, we're in dark times right now, for those of us who are progressive, you know, we are pushing, we have to keep pushing back because there are, there are going to be more of us. And right. a lot of the people who are part of the dark times are going to die soon. And so if we want to save this country, both from a, you know, social perspective, but as also an entertainment perspective, you know, an art reflecting back to people, you know, who they are and what they want to see you know, we have to, I, I absolutely agree with you, push those boundaries. I'll never forget a meeting I had about Chastity Bites, you know, a couple of years before we shot with someone in Hollywood who's like, well, I don't get the Latino thing. Like, why is there so many Latino characters? And I'm like, have you looked around in your city? In Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, maybe your neighbors aren't where you, but shit, you know? So just, yeah, even though sometimes it doesn't pay off immediately financially, that can be discouraging. I have been discouraged, but, you know, we we keep getting back up and we mm-hmm. keep fighting mm-hmm. the good fight and we keep pushing that envelope. Well, I think, I mean, part of the, th- the element is, is that, you know, the bottom line is you need to make personal films. Yes. You need mm-hmm. to tell personal stories. And when people, you know, I mean, a lot of like filmmakers uh, see horror as a stepping stone to something else. And a lot of horror films are being made by people who don't, one, 
like horror movies or care about horror movies because horror movies, quote unquote, make money, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's a stepping stone to something else. But they're not telling, you know, personal stories. And that's the thing about these about the indie world in horror, you know, you know, telling personal trans story or telling a personal gay story, or telling a personal, you know, Latina X story, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's that is what we need, you yes. know, is is not trying to do cookie cutter, you know, five millennials going to a cabin in the woods to party for an hour before they start getting killed one by one in the last 20 minutes of your movie. And they're but all t- they're all white, except one, all white. one token black guy. Yeah, maybe. Gets yeah. First, yeah. <laughs> but tell personal stories. And that's the problem with of some of the crummier representation we've had in the last five, ten years is that, yes, we're getting Oscar nominated trans films like the danish girl but they're not being told from a personal point of view they're being told by white guys who are like we need more female driven films i'm gonna go off and direct a new female driven film i love the new suspiria i think it's very very good i love that as an almost entirely female cast it's written by a guy it's directed by a guy Mm -hmm. scored by a guy all of that on-screen progress is undermined by that to Mm -hmm. me nonetheless absolutely so i that's that's the problem that we're facing we're facing we're seeing all this representation of queer characters from a straight filmmaker, of female characters from a male filmmaker. And we need more people behind the camera putting out those really personal stories up front. Well, and the truth is, before we get back to the Halloween of it all, and I value this conversation, this is exactly what Dead for Filth is about, is having these kind of conversations. And I'm glad that even on Halloween, we can talk about these things, because this is what we should be talking about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these movies have informed each of us in a different way, but they informed us on a level beyond mere entertainment, or else we wouldn't be here, we wouldn't want to make these things, we wouldn't want to create art, because it speaks to us, and we want to create. And the one thing I will say to listeners, if you're out there, and you want to make something, one, do it. Just do it. And two, keep in mind that there are going to be people who tell you to play it safe, they're going to tell you to play within the boundaries, but no name of a great artist that is on your lips is anyone who ever played it safe. Mm -hmm. John Waters bucked the system, Cheryl Dunn bucked the system, we have scores of people who were told they couldn't do what they wanted to do and they did it anyway and we're still talking about them and I defy you to go back and name some of the people who directed Best Picture winners from (laughs) even 25 years ago because if you make it with intent it lasts snap Mm -hmm. sound of me snapping (laughs) put an applause track in right there yeah right well now that we're back to Halloween because that's why we're here uh, yeah we we talked about movies movies to watch at Halloween Uh, Lottie briefly mentioned a tradition of hers is having a annual scary movie festival Mm -hmm. at her home Uh, tell me a little bit about your Halloween traditions what do you all do for Halloween um, well, every year, uh, I actually started a couple of years ago and I'm, uh, doing it, uh, did it again, um, this past Sunday, uh, which is a, a pumpkin carving, uh, movie night, uh, where I try to show something that, uh, most people haven't seen, um, uh, or can't see very readily. Uh, last year, I think I screened a fan, uh, fan made mashup movie of, in the mouth of madness and event horizon. Mm-hmm. In the mouth of event horizon. In the, in the mouth of event horizon. <laughs> yes, sir. It was so cool. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. you know a crazy. It's 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 a fan made film. It's really interesting that the the cut up, but uh, the tradition element is you know carving the actual pumpkins while we watch the French dubbed version of Halloween. Because <laughs> I, I, I have a Blu-ray that I picked <laughs> up for like five bucks, I think somewhere at, at maybe at, at Amoeba. 
uh, that is a French version of Halloween, and everybody's dubbed in in French, and it is brilliant. So yeah, so that's that's it. It's the uh, it's, it's so it's so classy in French. It is classy. <laughs> in you know French. what? Those some overdubs of horror movies were were done like so quickly in Europe that they're wacky. Like because I remember uh, watching the. I believe it's either the Italian or French dub of uh, Ruggiero Deodato's House on the Edge of the Park. And there's a scene at the end of the movie where David Hess gets like kind of violently attacked and knocked back into a swimming pool. And in the dub version, when he falls in the pool, the man doing the dub goes, wee! (laughs) Which is so uh, not the scene. But like, that's my favorite version of the movie now because someone was just like, we're just... We're just doing this. We're just doing this. Yeah. I when I studied in Spain in college for a semester, I one of the great things that helped me learn Spanish was watching. I'd find the horror movies when they were on mm. TV, like Evil Dead and stuff like that, dubbed into Spanish, as well as Beverly Hills 90210. But I love it. <laughs> uh, graduación yeah. de, de Donna Martin. Yeah, ex- exact, exact mundo. Uh, how about you, Drew? Any Halloween traditions? Uh, the only one that I've kept consistently, because um, I've moved around a lot, had a lot of different places and homes change and it's an idea of friendship and whatever. But the only thing that's consistent that represents Halloween for me, tradition-wise, is Count Chocula, Booberry, and Frankenberry. Yeah. No matter where I am in my life, I can always afford a box of monster cereal. And I have to get all of them. And I'm gonna ha- and I Wait, spend it, almost the entirety of October eating my classics. Is Yummy Mummy off the market? Yummy Mummy and Fruit Brute are gone. Mm. They, yeah, I, I think they were discontinued in like the late '90s, and then they brought them back like four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I bought like a horde, a hoarder's amount of them, <laughs> uh, and I'm gone. I'm just gonna go Those ahead the best. and say this on the air. Uh, is this uh, Kellogg's makes that? Who it's. Uh, post? I think not it's post. 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 Yeah. I think it's okay. post. Well, probably post. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Whoever. I think, I think so. Cere- the cereal industrial complex is going to come for me after this. <laughs> but I'm just going to put it out there. I think the reason Fruit Brute was discontinued is because he's a gay icon. <gasps> and no one could deal with a sassy mm. rainbow werewolf, but I can. Or a rainbow mummy. That's right. Mm. Uh, it's General Mills, by the way, I remember. General Mills, got it. That's right. Yep. Okay. Uh, cool, yeah. As far as Halloween traditions, I pretty much, I mean, my whole job in life is Halloween. <laughs> like, it's Halloween most of the year. Uh, and for for example, this month of October, I've been, like, bouncing from thing to thing. And I'll give you a, a breakdown before we head out later about other places you can catch me for Halloween. Uh, but one thing I do, and this is sort of... Uh, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there is the mythos that on actual Halloween, it's the night the real monsters all take the time off because uh, they've been spooking and haunting and creeping about all year round. And that's their night to rest and let the amateurs do it. <laughs> and I do, and not usually always on real Halloween, but I do have an October tradition where at least one day on uh, one day sometime in October, I take the complete day off. I turn my phone off. I maybe have like one or two other people and I carve pumpkins and I roast pumpkin seeds every year. That's part of my tradition is I roast pumpkin seeds and I just watch a slew of movies, including Elvira's two MTV Halloween specials Mm. from 84 and 86. And uh, it's very quiet and it's intentionally quiet. And that's my Halloween tradition. That's me Mm. just taking some some Halloween time. Yay. Uh, But yeah, I love all of those things. I think that... um, Pumpkin carving's the best. I don't care how. It's so interesting that none of us mention costumes. You know, is anybody here a big costume person? Because I... I have three this year. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I love costumes, but I, like, 
I will be planning out costumes all year long, and then come October, I'm like, wait a minute, I forgot what I was gonna do. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna get that. vampire fangs really no. quickly. <laughs> I've always notoriously been into costumes. I spend a lot of time planning them. I spend a lot of time thinking of them. I already know what I'm gonna be next year. It's not a joke. I figured it out like last month, and I just like started planning. Uh, I usually know a year in advance, uh, sometimes more. Uh, that doesn't mean they're always executed well. Please, like, if you see pictures on Instagram, don't expect anything. Like, <laughs> I am I'm not an effects person by any means. I can pull stuff out, but not that great. Uh, but yeah, I love a costume. It's the one night you get to wear a mask to be somebody else, but maybe a little more who you are. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I used to love it. I used to be like that, but I think, I don't know. I guess I'm old and tired or something because I'm like, it's a lot of work. <laughs> So well, once but- once in a while I'm up for it. Like once in a while I'll come up with a really badass idea. But a lot of times I'm just like, ugh, what's in my costume trunks? And yes, <laughs> that is costume trunks. So I, I do have. Yeah, I appreciate that. But it's not even just, uh, you know, nowadays, even Halloween with all of the, you know, the conventions and the conferences and, and cons and stuff that are out there and cosplay. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you can you can dress up, you know, anytime, anytime. Mm hmm. Uh, so we talked about traditions, we talked about movies to watch, uh, we talked about other movies to watch, and one thing I did, and I held you back from this, was actually getting to recommend or watch any of the Halloween movies. But as we sit here, 40 years later, Lori's back, Michael's back, we are in a new age of the Halloween franchise, it is beloved by many in the horror community. So... I wanted to spend a little of this Halloween special in honor of of this welcome return, uh, talking a little bit about Halloween. But because this new movie is effectively a sequel to the original film, but it also effectively creates a whole brand new timeline that didn't exist before because it erases all the other movies and only takes the original film into account, uh, we're going to do two things. One, we're not going to talk about the original Halloween. We're going to talk about the sequels. I want you to tell me what your favorite of the Halloween sequels is. And because the Halloween franchise is the only horror franchise that I can think of that is essentially at this point become a choose your own adventure <laughs> where you can choose Halloween and it's a standalone Halloween one and two. That's your universe. Halloween, Halloween two, Halloween H2O, Halloween, Halloween three, Halloween four, five, six, Halloween, <laughs> Halloween 2018. There are like six divergent timelines. I'm going to add, ask you to also create your own Halloween addition to the timeline. Maybe pick a character you like, tell me what they're doing now, or just add on to something. So, Lottie. Oh, God, that wasn't the one I was prepared for. I thought it was going to be like, what's your timeline of the existing, you know, like what, what would the, be the movies you keep and throw out? You can oh. answer that way if you like. Okay, I- for that one, I would go Halloween, original Halloween 2, and... H2O. <laughs> That's my like picture. That's me. H- yeah. I Halloween, mean, Halloween 2, H2O yeah. is like a power trilogy to me. And yeah. I am fine with having an alternate universe of uh, Halloween H4O or, or 4O or whatever we're calling the new one. I just, I think I would have liked it better if they hadn't promoted it as everything else that came before except the original sucked and we're doing it right. That sense built it up a little too high in my mind. So no shade, but, you know, I liked it, but I, it couldn't live up to that much hype. So but then my favorite, of course, of all of the sequels is part three, mm. because nothing to which is not, you know, an actual sequel. It's the standalone, you know, thing. But it has 
Tom Atkins. Um, if we have time, I have something else to say about Tom Atkins. But why I, don't you just tell us now? Okay, so <laughs> have have there been any beefs on Dead for Filth, like among guests, like past guests? Like, has anybody been like, I need to call past guest out? Are you gonna start like a war with one of my guests? <gasps> yes, okay. yes. Oh, I'm ex- here we go. I'm like super excited about it. I'm hoping I'm the first one to start a Dead for Filth beef. All right, I will tweet this person afterwards to make sure they listen. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll I'll, fa- I'll Facebook him. It's my my friend question mark and filmmaker of Hellbent Paul Etheridge Paul this is my beef with you on your episode you took issue with I believe on the fog in the fog right Jamie Lee Curtis falling into bed so quickly like that's just problematic and I think you referred to him as that guy okay that guy is Tom Atkins, Tom motherfucking Atkins, the sexiest, sexy, manly man of 80s horror who beds Jamie Lee Curtis, the chick in Halloween 3. Stacey Nelkin. Stacey Nelkin. (laughs) And me, if I were in the 80s and old enough to bed him, immediately after meeting us because he's just that fucking sexy. You guys would fuck him in the 80s, right? right, Are you ready for the wig snatch reveal? Yes. Paul Etheridge referred to him as that guy. But the person on the Dead for Filth episode that Paul was on that said the biggest science fiction moment of the fog is that Jamie Lee would go and sleep with him immediately was me. I said that. Okay, then beef is with you too, Michael. (laughs) Because Tom Atkins... She's like 17 in that movie and he's like pushing 50. I'm just saying it's a little suspicious. But have you seen his mustache? Exactly. Thank you. I'm sorry. Up in an Italian, but he doesn't have the mustache in the fog. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. He is a panty dropper. I don't care how old Oof. he was. I don't. Like, I'm letting all of my feminist sensibilities to the side. <laughs> I would have been 17 and hitchhiking, and the next scene in bed with him in a motel. I'm just saying. It's right, Tom I mean, Atkins. So Paul Etheridge and Michael Verratti, just know you're on notice for me. And it says my shirt says "Thrill Me." And has Tom Atkins right on my tits. Yeah, and that that shirt is from Night of the Creeps, which yeah. is one of my favorite horror films of all time. I love Tom Atkins. I'm just saying. I guess, look, what happens in the fog stays in the fog. You can do whatever you want. Exactly. Uh, so, yes, JT. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as the, the timeline that I appreciate the most is, you know, the one that we've all agreed on, which is 1, 2, and H2O. Um, but as far as where I would take things, I actually... It did kind of come together uh, with a little, uh, if I were going to make a sequel okay. to uh, a movie, it would be Halloween 3 Part 2. <gasps> I'm in. And the storyline is, Dan Chalice was not able to stop the third TV station from airing the Silver Shamrock commercial, and millions of children and families were sacrificed to the Celtic god. After the festival of Samhain, when the hills ran red with the blood of children. Oh, you wrote this down. I did write it down. It's a, <laughs> I'm living for it, by the way. Yeah. Continue. Uh, after the, when the hills ran red with the blood of children, Dr. Chalice bands together with a ragtag team of survivors to put an end to the Celtic cult that Connell Cochran started on Halloween night in 1982. <sighs> Sounds delightful. I love a good I am 82. so in. People with money, are you listening? <laughs> 
I mean, wouldn't you want to see that? Like, you know, to, you know, Tom Atkins teaming up with a bunch of ragtag survivors and going after the Celtic cult. So can, it's like Halloween Fury Road. Yeah. Ready, yeah. Ooh. Can I be in it just so I can bed him? And I know he's <laughs> I know he's 80, but I'll give him whatever pills or pumps. <laughs> wow, what on. a good time to transition over to Drew. Oh, <laughs> um, Am I'm, I obsessed with this? Okay, sorry, Drew, go ahead. Just a little bit. Uh, my favorite sequel is Halloween 2. Uh, because it is a pure goddamn delight. It is so much fun. It picks up right at the end of the original Halloween. Literally the first five minutes or the last five minutes of Halloween. Yes. Um, great use of Mr. Sandman. Um, and it has my favorite throwaway gag, I guess, of the kid who bit into an apple with razor blades in it. Mm-hmm. Who was and also who, in the fog. Yes, he was. Who was walking, he was being led into the hospital by his mother with a whole razor blade sticking out of his <laughs> mouth, which is the most horrifying thing in any Halloween film. It just gives me shivers. Um, I love that movie, but I would actually just end it there. Just Halloween and Halloween. <laughs> just, just, just Halloween and Halloween 2, because Halloween 2 has a perfect ending as is. Mm-hmm. Dr. Loomis and Michael are dead, exploded dead, <laughs> and uh, Laurie Strode is traumatized in an ambulance listening to Mr. Sandman. With the worst wig in cinema history. Yeah, that is true. That's, that's the one thing about Halloween 2 that I always struggle with, is mm-hmm. that she's got this like shake-and-go, five-and-dime wig <laughs> that it's like, were there no gays on set? <laughs> like, was no one around to be like, girl... Yeah, because she had changed her hair, and so they had to use the wig, and it's it's rough. It yep. is true. That's, it, it is rough wig. Yeah. I, I do love Halloween 2 a lot, though. I love a hospital set horror. I think it's really great. Um, so that's that's your Divergent Timeline, too? No, my okay. Divergent Timeline is going back in time and making Halloween 5 proper about Jamie Lloyd being the killer, growing up to being... Mm, I like because that. that's the great set. That's the only interesting thing of Halloween four. <laughs> and then Halloween five is like no 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 no. I like nah, Halloween four. I honestly have to say that Donald Pleasant's acting choice in the final scene of Halloween four <laughs> is I think one of the greatest moments of the franchise because it's like one of those where he's just no 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 and they were just like hard cut to credits yeah someone's like we're not getting better than this is it this is like this, this is, is fucking like, yeah i i love that moment i i i actually think halloween 4 is a fist pumper i love that mm. movie uh i but i historically over the course of the show i'm always the devil's advocate i tend to like everything uh but no i think that's a really good timeline i'm going to pick a movie uh is the halloween sequel to watch for listeners not necessarily because it's my favorite or because it's the best, but I do have a great affinity for it. And if anybody follows any of my social media, I rant about this movie all year long. I'm going to choose Halloween 6. It's The Curse. The Curse of Michael Myers. The Curse Myers. of Michael Myers. Yep. For four words. And anybody who follows me on social media knows what those four words are going to be. But I'll tell you, the reason you need to see Halloween 6, the producer's cut. I prefer the producer's cut because it delves more into occultism and and craziness. And if you haven't seen it, it is so far removed from the original (laughs) Halloween. Michael Myers is revealed to be part of like a druid cult that is like in league with the (laughs) devil. And there's like all sorts of stuff. And then like Dr. Loomis is just like, it won't end. It's just like so (laughs) wackadoo. There's like, uh, there is is a warlock circle at the end. There are bewitched tattoos. It's a wild ride. Uh, But four words, the true reason to watch Halloween 6, 
Paul Rudd leather pants. Yes. Puka shell necklace. He was. Yes, queen. And is so cute in that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they just like poured him into the, I don't even think it's real leather. I'm just going to finally blow this mythology wide open. That's some pleather pants that he got at Hot Topic. And you know what? Work, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he got a yeah. start in this business in that film. And so bravo for that. Mm-hmm. He's great. Bravo. And he talks about it in interviews. He had a great time making that movie. Yeah. How could you not? I mean, like, you get to wear puka shells, leather pants, and go up against Michael Myers. That's, like, basically every 90, 90s kid's dream, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my sequel recommended. Uh, I enjoy it a great deal. I, of course, talk about Paul Rudd's leather pants on social media all the time, so I couldn't not bring it up on the show. Uh, and my divergent timeline, because I do have a great love for some of the later sequels and uh, Laurie Strode's kind of errant children... I would want to do a sequel that takes into account the timelines of Halloween H2O, but also 4, 5, and 6, wherein uh, Jamie Jamie Lee's character, Lori, has faked her death and left Jamie uh, in Haddonfield. But mm-hmm. then she's also got Josh Hartnett. Yup. Mm-hmm. In California. Yeah, in California. So I want the Halloween 40 where it's like... Lori gets her kids together. So we've got Danielle Harris and Josh Hartnett. And why not Judy Greer? We'll explain it somehow. And (laughs) they're all there. And so it's like they all have to fight Michael Myers. Who doesn't want to see that family reunion? Spoilers. You all do. You're waiting for it. (laughs) Give me the money. I love Danielle Harris so much. I think that she, her continued uh, appearances in the Halloween franchise are one of my favorite things. So... Uh, yeah, so that's it. That's our delve into the world of Halloween. I held it back because I knew we were going to get really nerdy, and I know that the <laughs> listeners are going to appreciate it. Uh, we have been, we, we took a big sidebar to talk about some relevant social issues, so I think that this is probably a good place to leave Halloween. We've, we've said some serious things. We've said some seasonal things. We've had some tricks. We've had some treats. Any parting thoughts before we head off into the night? Just be safe out there, kids. Stay out of the fog. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, just have a really awesome Halloween and do it however you do it and celebrate the darkness because those of us who do are actually, I find like people in the horror world, for example, or people who are horror movie fans are some of the nicest, coolest people on the planet because we work that shit out. We (laughs) acknowledge the shadow side. We acknowledge the devil and um, we're not, you know, we don't have it all pent up. It's coming out in other nasty ways. It's true. Happy Halloween. Um, I think I would just reiterate, you know, to the artists out there who are listening uh, to tell your stories, you know, be true to yourself, tell your stories and, you know, be honest uh, in the telling of those stories and, and, and don't take no for an answer. Uh, say what you want to say. Amen. And I just want to put an image in your everyone's head. Tom Atkins leather pants. <laughs> oh, I mean, God, I can't get home fast enough. <laughs> Sorry. I'm oh. just gonna say that I feel like Tom would be like a chaps kind of guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, thank you all for joining me. Uh, please check out the work of all three of these fine folks, Lottie, 
JT, Drew, thank you, thank you, thank you. And as mentioned, Halloween season has been quite busy, and if you have not gotten your fill of listening to my voice here today, I have also joined several other podcasts this Halloween season that you can check me out on. Uh, I am the guest host this week for the Halloween special of Slayer Fest 98, where I get to spend some time chatting with them about all of the Halloween episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I also have some very strong thoughts about why I hate Xander, so you should probably check that out. Uh, I return to All Things Cozy for their All Hallows Hoopla, where I talk a lot about the curious creations of Christine McConnell, so you should check that out. And I also am doing the Halloween episode of Megasheen, and we talk about, I don't know, because we haven't recorded it yet. So there's that. Also today, Wednesday, October 31st, there's a new episode of History of Fright, which I host, and it's all about Final Girls. And we mention Laurie Strode a lot, so there's your tie-in. So yes, listeners, be safe out there. Be a trick. Be a treat. (laughs) But as always, be you. I'm Michael Verratti, yours always, in Glam and Gore. Good night, good luck, and happy Halloween. Halloween.